Hey, yo, Chicos and Chicas, welcome to the most electrifying must-listen-to podcast in sports entertainment. Welcome to FFC, man. I am your esteemed, lauded, and highly appreciated host, Damian Ellinghouse, accompanied, as always, by good friend and lover of just the greasiest, slickest hair on the market, Ryan Doyle. Ryan Doyle, who has no idea what the topic is going to be about. <laughs> um, well, ladies and gents, this is an unfortunately sad episode. Uh, it's probably sadder than some people might expect, given the history. But, of course, for anyone that does not know... Uh, Scott Hall, a.k.a. Razor Ramon, passed away uh, March 14th, two days uh, prior to this recording. So tonight, we're going to not make this macabre, because tonight we are also recording on uh, Austin 316, right? So instead of a, a somber reminder of uh, life's impermanence, we are instead going to take this time, aside from the other things we're going to fill your ear holes with, with just a celebration of uh, one of the most one of the most interesting people in modern day wrestling, and certainly one of the most transformative in the industry in Scott Hall. So, Ryan, uh, in honor of Austin three sixteen, what are we drinking today? Uh, well, I have a nice little traditional Sierra Nevada hazy IPA. Sierra Nevada Voodoo Ranger. Sierra Nevada Voodoo Ranger went to uh, my favorite distributor, 7-Eleven. was trying to get a Guinness. There was no Guinness for, for your boy. Uh, that's Irish discrimination right there. I don't it appreciate is. it. Yeah. No, not cool. Uh, um, I, need, I need little ping pongs in my, in my beer can. Daddy needs his pong balls. Um, I had a couple of scoops of Guinness before I got here, so instead, just got some Steve Weisers. That's what I got. A rare moment of uh, of uh, just pure, unabashed love is a strong word. Appreciation for the simpler swill wheat, in life. Wheat water. Wheat water, wheat rice, water. ricey wheat water. Is that your uh, amongst the 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 champions of of dad beers? Is that is that your go to? No, no. Are, I, uh, are you a Coors Light man? Coors Banquet or Miller Light tends to be my uh, my go to. So uh, this is really because like I don't. Steve didn't even really drink Budweiser, but Steve Weiser. And I, I couldn't remember on the spot what he uh, drank. Was it Bush or Keystone? Uh, it changed uh, Miller, a few Miller times. Lights. Miller Lights was always, uh, he probably got a Coors Light in there. Was it Miller? Huh? I thought it was something more obscure than that. No, he, he drove a Miller Light Zamboni. <clears throat> Add on to the apron there. Uh, yeah, it had to have been light because <laughs> TD, there were some times when he would just be having like, Four and twelve. Like, yeah, and I gotta come back. I gotta come back at the end of the show. 
There were yeah, there were definitely some of his matches where he just did the the ring the ring guy just had to toss like seventeen of them. Uh, and this is a particularly special Austin three sixteen uh, because of a certain something that may be happening uh, in a few weeks and months here. But we will we will get to that. So. In honor, not just of the Texas rattlesnake, but of the bad guy, we crack. Guess it's kind of fucked up to drink in his honor, but nonetheless, we throw one up to Scott Hall. Shine on, Razor. So Shine on, Diamond Stud. Shine on, the Diamond Stud, indeed. So, Scott Hall... Um, for those that were unaware of Scott Hall outside of wrestling, Scott Hall was truly one of the more troubled uh, individuals of his time, which is saying something considering that like basically every single wrestler from his era uh, were just like f- just full of issues. But Scott's were not like, Oh, you know, he he was like prejudiced or he was whatever. Scott had much more serious issues. So uh Scott has like had a very well-known drug and alcohol issue in the 90s and uh WCW wrote that into some of his stuff. And uh he it was it they were issues that he struggled with for basically his entire life, but what was most remarkable and what makes this so sad is um, quite a few people. had said like if you if this had happened like, you know, 12, 15, 20 years ago, you kind of would have just been like, uh, yeah, which is crazy because he would have been 40, you know. But what makes it sad is how hard he he bounced back. So uh, before we give some lauding, you know, Ryan, give us give us some background on like the achievement the 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 mountain that scott had to climb to get back to being this beloved figure in wrestling well i mean besides going on just an absolute tear with his addictions uh unfortunately trouble with his relationships uh just and and a downward spiral i think you know we've we've all experienced it uh, personally and uh, through other people, but um, you know, Scott was just on an absolute path of destruction. Uh, arrested multiple times, stints in rehab, um, and then he, about ten years ago in 2011, you know, we thought like it was pretty much the end for Scott. Uh, he had multiple seizures he had a defibrillator and a pacemaker implanted in his chest he had double pneumonia twice in 2010 um but he was able to overcome that and uh mainly uh through the help of the immortal diamond dallas page um scott hall was able to get a second chance on life you know not a lot of uh wrestlers have been able to say that and um you know page gave this man another decade of life 
something that a lot of wrestlers can attribute to DDP. Uh, uh, Jake Roberts, Jake the Snake being like a very well-known person that DDP helped out. Uh, Jericho, not that like Jericho had similar issues, but Jericho spoke, always spoke very highly of DDP at like his impact on his career as well. Um, DDP is going to go down as one of the more like saintly and I was like a, a bit of a strong word, but, but certainly like Diamond Dallas Page is one of the most uh, positive influences on a lot of these older guys. Uh, you know, DDP yoga, you know, was like a meme for a while, but almost every wrestler that did it was like, this is legitimate. This, this really made a difference. And the lifestyle that went along with it, just like a really positive guy. And it was that influence that allowed Scott to climb back from, you know, being arrested in 2010, right after coming back to TNA, uh, to now where like, you know, when he gets inducted into the hall of fame with NWO and, um, as razor, just like uh, becoming a really beloved figure, throughout for like young wrestlers aside from just like his influence in the ring and that's kind of what makes this all the more tragic is uh that he did not pass because of a relapse or because of um you know some like crazy complication due to his use so that didn't help he, he passed after having a hip surgery that just resulted in a health complication suffered heart attacks after and eventually got put on life support yeah, really fucking scary, man. You know, you can't take any visit to the hospital for granted, you know, after reading that. Um, I mean, if your parent broke your hip, broke their hip, you wouldn't really. I mean, obviously, it's devastating, but, you know, you really wouldn't think twice about it. You know, it's like, OK, like this is horrible, but they'll have routine surgery. And, uh, you know, it was just Scott shouldn't have went out like that, you know, after all the things that he did to get back to where he was. Uh, cleaning up his life, um, you know, just through personal, you know, abstaining from drugs and alcohol and trying to, you know, kind of get some retribution for the acts that he's done, you know, during the course of his, his life. But, you know, he'll probably never tell you himself, but, uh, you know, Kevin Nash has always said that, you know, Scott suffered from uh, serious PTSD. Scott, back in the 80s, was... Um, I believe we covered this. Scott was a doorman at a club in Orlando. And uh, he was charged with second-degree murder after an individual pulled a gun on him. And Hall was able to wrestle the gun and, through one way or another, shot the man in the head. And uh, that certainly is not something that you forget. And so, um, whether or not he took that and turned into a uh, you know, fuel for his wrestling career. Uh, you know, that coupled with other things was maybe, uh, the, you know, fuel for his, uh, his destructiveness, but, you know, certainly something that nobody ever wants to go through and certainly something no one forgets. And, uh, you know, it was it was so much of a joke back in the day that like WCW literally ran an angle where he was last call hall, where he was like, you know, doing promos with beer and vodka in his hands, slurring, vomiting on the on the side of the stage. People 
commentary talking about how worried they are for him. And like, this was like just a very real thing that was actually happening to him. But go on. Oh, uh, you, you did mention that that gimmick and, you know, legitimately during uh, one of those promos afterwards in the parking lot, he keyed a limousine and uh, he was being arrested and people thought that it was part of the angle. No, he's being legitimately arrested for just going up to a limousine and, and keying it. But. The circumstance of Scott's life should not be overshadowed, not just by his accomplishments in the ring, but how he turned himself around and became a mentor for people uh, in NXT, uh, an idol for people in Japan, and just somebody that was universally beloved. And so with the due respect to Scott's issues and the the relative tragedy of it all, like I said, instead, you know, and I, we've struck a little bit of a dour note here, but... What I want to talk about is the legacy of Scott Hall and the joy that he brought and the amazing story of triumph over one's personal demons that Scott ultimately became a symbol of, regardless of his, you know, somewhat untimely death. So Scott Hall had started his career very early on in the NWA. And uh, notably was, I believe, tag partners with Kurt Hennig, right? They were part, They were a tag team together? Yeah, he was first tag team partners with Dan Spivey. Uh, Dan continued on uh, in NWA, and then eventually uh, he trained with uh, Mike Rotunda and Barry Windham, a.k.a. Uh, Bray Wyatt's dad and uncle. Uh, he eventually moved on to AWA, which is where he uh, started that tag team. And they kind of used him as like a foil for Hogan. Um, but it was after he left AWA and went to WWF. Or, eh, it's, it, it's after that that he then like kind of bounces around for a little bit, uh, becomes the diamond stud in WCW. But then it's when he goes back to wwf that he really becomes so much more than he was to this point because up to this point he was a uh, you know charismatic solid worker in the ring good look but it was i I don't know i I wasn't there at the time so i don't want to speak out of turn like he was thought highly of an awa but i'm not sure that he was necessarily looked at as like Oh, he's going to be a top top guy, um, necessarily. But it's once he went to WWF and debuted as Razor Ramon, where where all of that changed. And <laughs> truly, the beauty of this is is that uh, Razor Ramon is like <laughs> I don't know, kind of one of the most like offensive. <laughs> gimmicks i think you could think of in like recent days if you're like like it's yeah, just it's, this it's brown face i guess it's just this <laughs> it's just this white dude that like slick back his hair and just talks in this terrible tony montana voice and like pretty impressive he d- that he, he was able to keep it up 
for like long amounts of time <laughs> yeah know? yeah like if he was never necessarily believable it was like okay like fine this is what it's happening what's happening uh and what was funny about it really is that uh it was modeled after tony montana but legend has it that Vince didn't actually like see Scarface and didn't fully understand Tony Montana as a character. Oh, I absolutely which, believe that. Which allowed Scott Hall to become this like absurd caricature to the point where like I guess the rosiest take on it would be like he really he was he was much less of like an offensive Cuban stereotype and more like a fucking absurd caricature of Tony Montana. Yeah. I don't think there was any points where he was just like, you know, shitting on Spanish culture or Cuban yeah, culture. I wouldn't, at the I wouldn't time. tell you it's good, but it, it, it he was playing uh, the stereotypical like Coke dealer in Miami in, and, in the and, 1980s. And Scott Hall was the guy to make it work because not only did he have the look, but he had the charisma and he just explodes. He's doing his vignettes and low riders. He's fucking surrounded by women at poolside. And it's just, Ezer Ramon is the man and the chica. Just this fucking absurd thing. And the reason it gets over is because of Scott Hall's natural charisma and the fact that Scott Hall was legitimately one of the better in-ring workers at the time, I would argue. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, that work rate was never an issue for him. And Razor went on to become one of the most legendary intercontinental champions of all time. Uh, so complete, complete honesty from me here. My, like knowledge my love of scott hall become like happens after razor so ryan perhaps you could talk more on like what what razor was for wwf at that time well if there were pillars amongst that early wwf uh, wwf raw era like 93 92 scott hall would definitely be one of them and you know scott hall never won the championship in uh in any major federation so he also goes down in the annals of history as one of the greatest and never win it uh obviously you have to put jake the snake and roddy up there two other surprising names that you may not know that did also didn't win the championship scott hall is a solid number three that is surprising about roddy it makes sense but that that is surprising yeah, yeah. scott hall is solidly my number three and probably the number one of his generation um but yeah, he had the look, man. He was 6'5", absolutely cut, uh, no pun intended. And, you know, he carried a lot of that era, that early dead, you know, Vince-laden character era. Is the pun that he cut cocaine or that he was the diamond, that diamonds are cut? What was the pun? Well, the second, yeah, this, it was it was cut cocaine, but, you know, cut diamond, sure. Okay, okay, sure, okay. Sure, okay. Sure. And, uh... You know, when you think of the Intercontinental Championship, Intercontinental Intercontinental Championship, you think of Scott Hall, you think of Razor Ramon. Um, obviously, some other people deserve that. It, Chris Jericho, uh, The Miz, but Scott Hall, man, that white IC belt, you know, one of the first things that uh, Zack Ryder did, Matt Cardona, when he won it at WrestleMania 32. I uh, went straight up to Scott Hallman. And, 
you know, Nash always shared that aspect of it that when Scott was backstage, like nobody was coming up to him. Like, you know, everybody wanted to have a conversation with Scott. Just because I think, he, you know, he, he was the bad guy, you know, he resonated with a lot of people, especially young wrestlers coming up there. And of course, it all culminated in the WrestleMania 10 match against Michaels, you know, the first and perhaps most legendary ladder match in wrestling history. Which was incredible to learn. Like, it makes sense because we're talking, that was like 93, right, was WrestleMania 10? Mm-hmm. It makes sense that they never did a ladder match, but it, it still was a little bit mind-blowing. I was like, oh, huh. I think supposedly they did one in Calgary Stampede. I know the main gist of the idea was Bret Hart's. Mm-hmm. Um, but whatever it was, they absolutely perfected it. Yeah, yeah, it's besides the point. And and Razor would go on to be one of the the people, one of the wrestlers most synonymous with that championship. When you think the Intercontinental Championship, you think Chris Jericho, you think Pedro Morales, you think Pat Patterson. Uh, you know, depending on when you started watching, you might think the Miz. Uh, he is the second longest reigning intercontinental champion uh is only one shy of the total reigns but for a lot of people razor ramon was the guy he stands sixth on the list four reigns over 400 days uh and as ryan said the match against michaels the first ever ladder match uh in which i learned that they only had one ladder prepared there were no other backup ladders and there is a point in that match where it like buckles and twists after like i think michael's drop kicks it so uh, they both had commented that they were like it's a little remarkable that it never broke but uh that was followed by a SummerSlam match for the intercontinental championship i think the same year it was the same feud yes um uh, that some people considered better, but yeah, ten WrestleMania ten, their ladder match, one of the most legendary. Uh, and he would he at Michaels' bodyguard was Diesel. Something that Razor was really well known for, that Scott Hall would be well known for, is he wasn't afraid to put over younger talent, uh, despite his obvious star power by that point. Uh, like I said, Scott Hall became a star with razor in 92, but you know, he was still like a pretty over guy and a pretty well-known guy. And Hiroshi Tanahashi as a young boy was put over by Scott Hall in like 2001. So this is after the fact, um, because Scott had had a, a, a history with new Japan and people like, uh, Waltman, AKA the one, two, three kid, AKA X-Pac, being one of the more memorable mid-card feuds where Razor comes in, you expect a squash with this doofy-looking kid, and instead... uh, And he wasn't known as the 1-2-3 kid, I think, at that time. He was known as, like... Is that what he was known as? No, he was 1-2-3. Was he still 1-2-3? Because I kind of... I was I thought he got that name afterwards, because his tights said, like... Oh, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. His kids... His tights said, like, L-Kid, and then he, like... Got the quick one, two, the one three, two, three, and, yeah. and that You're became right. his You're gimmick. Right. Yep. Yeah. All right, go on. Go goodbye. Goodbye. God forbid you stay quiet. Can't can't be an episode of FFC without Mercury, unofficial third guest. Um, 
but but that was something that that Scott, despite his star power, was was well known for. And so after this legendary run with the Intercontinental Championship, th- it's around this time that he then becomes friends with Diesel, Kevin Nash, with Triple H, with Shawn Michaels, with Waltman, the one, two, three kid. And he becomes involved in the curtain call at MSG, where after the match between uh was it between Michaels and Nash or was it between it was uh it was Michaels and Nash versus uh Triple H and Razor. And Razor. They like hug afterwards. And we we covered this in depth. So point being the curtain call happens and then Scott Hall did what would ultimately become one of the most legendary momentous occasions in wrestling just showing up in WCW dropping the accent although he kind of like still slipped in and out of it because mm-hmm. you know you can't, you can't only put it off for so long and of course grabs a microphone and utters the now famous words you may know who i am but you don't know why i'm here proceeds to cut a promo on billionaire ted and the nacho man and uh says you know you wanted a war, you got a war. Diesel shows not long after him. They become the Outsiders. And of course, the Outsiders become NWO after Hulk Hogan joins them. And we we have spoken about this at length. So instead of like regaling you with the history of NWO, what I'd like to talk about, because this is when my fandom really began. So... We've spoken at length about the NWO and just how like legendary they were. But for me, and the NWO became very bloated later on, but it always had like a bunch of members and it was kind of cool. You know, people jumped in, people jumped out, whatever. You know, you got Scott Steiner sometimes there. And then, you know, yeah, Macho Man showed up and Luger and people, you know, came in and out. But while Hogan brought the undisputed star power right the nwo was cool because of scott hall absolutely scott Scott hall took all of the swagger that razor had and just made it less racist less he just made it less offensive and was like i will just be this and that's where the bad guy truly truly became the bad guy you know for me I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you, oh, I, I, Scott Hall specifically was my favorite wrestler growing up. You know, I, I loved Hogan in NWO when I was a kid and, I, you know, I loved Jeff Hardy and all those Shawn Michaels. But Scott Hall, the image of the slick back hair, the toothpick and just the the swagger, his swagger is what set the tone for NWO, especially because Hogan was a fun heel, but he wasn't like, you know, he was cool, but he was also kind of like not that cool. And Diesel was, of course, Big Daddy cool, but um, Diesel had different energy with him. But Hall, Hall was just the fucking epitome of cool. Right. And that wasn't that wasn't Hogan in real life. Uh, certainly that was that was Nash. Nash was the, the strong, silent giant. You know, ready to fucking kick ass if he needs to. That was Scott Hall, man. Scott Hall was pretty much just playing himself. 
And, you know, I mentioned it the other day in our obituary. Um, the trajectory of modern wrestling, there were a few, there were a few pinpoints, obviously, but that certainly was the main one. But Damien, Scott is responsible for another, another major pivot in wrestling. Do you know what it is? Hmm. Well, I believe I do. Recently, well, not recently. I mean, this is fairly common knowledge, and I'll see if this is the one you're talking about. You Are you referring to a certain suggestion to somebody that resulted in a certain uh, change in gimmick? I am. Scott Hall was responsible for Sting becoming the crow version of himself because he had, he went up to to sting and he said you ever seen the crow and sting went uh no man i've never seen the crow and he's like it's pretty cool you should you should consider something like that and he gives him some pointers and scott hall ever the uh because like i said like it, it's very interesting and you have a lot of people that would talk a lot of shit about hall and very much deservedly so and his own family included but hall I don't know. It's it's weird. Like he never really had a huge ego on him, at least when it came to like the business. Uh, you know, like yeah, the click wielded a lot of backstage power. So I'm not going to sit here and be like Hall was the most selfless guy in the locker room, but he had a he, mind, man. He was a fucking he had a genius. mind, and he gave this idea to Sting, and Sting, of course, runs with it and becomes the sting that everybody loves and knows with no disrespect to sting prior to that. So he was no slouch, but there's a reason he's wearing the crow face paint in AEW now and not the surfer sting face paint. Um, and I think there was some, uh, some hesitancy because, you know, taker kind of had that gimmick and then ever so bluntly, Scott Hall goes, fuck it. Copy taker. You know, there was, yeah. a, there was a certain element to a belief that, you know, if it wasn't within your federation, it didn't exist or you shouldn't acknowledge it. So and and he also correctly pointed out that like Taker's gimmick was at this point, you know, 15 years old and maybe it's time for a different take on that. And that's exactly what happened. And and but when asked about it, Hall said, you know, I don't take credit for that. Like that's not I I don't look at it as like, oh, I came up with this gimmick for Sting. I look at it as, you know, you help out the guys that you're in the locker room with. And I had an idea and it worked. And he even went on to say, like, you know, like me and Sting aren't best friends. Uh, you know, we've gone out to dinner once or twice. Where I wouldn't call him one of my closest friends. But he's a guy that anytime I'm going to see, I'm going to be like, that's my boy. And that, that really hit and, me when I read that quote. And that that kind of was who Scott Hall was. He was a deeply flawed individual who really did put his heart into the business. And it's probably what contributed to his issues. Um, and like I said, like, I, I'm not really interested in talking about the the downfall of Scott Hall because there are plenty of uh, interviews with the man himself and with more respected journalists than us and plenty of hit pieces to talk about Scott Hall's disasters, right? But that's not what I think Scott Hall should be remembered for because like I said, what Scott Hall is above all is a, a testament to what you can do when you fight, when you fight and you refuse to give up even when 
it seems like all hope is lost. And the members of the clique and DDP and and Bret Hart and all of these kind of these guys rallied around him and helped him become a very the best version of himself, really. Who he was supposed to be. Yes, because after WCW, he he doesn't he retains the star power, but it wasn't the same. It wasn't the same as Razor and, and Scott Hall and NWO. And part of that is. You know, WCW's fault for how things went and his booking to WWE, where then it's, you know, they do the NWO and you're doing weird shit. And then he goes to TNA and it's just things became bad from there. But um, like I said, that's not what really this is about, because you've seen you might not have seen so many wrestlers come out and talk about how much he influenced them. How much his style in the ring influenced him, his character, the way he thought about the the sport, the way that he thought about the business aspect, the way that he thought about everything. Uh, people from, you know, Kenny Omega to Will Ospreay to Big E to his peers. Uh, he was just a guy that was larger in life because, as we said, he was the beating cool heart of NWO. He was the reason that worked because he gave a legitimacy to it that can't be replicated. And that style of swagger and just absolute like confidence is impossible to create. That's innate. There's a certain level of character work that, you unlock within yourself when you are a wrestler. Uh, Scott Hall unlocked that. Not only that, he set the trend for generations of wrestlers. I was absolutely taken aback about how many of the current crop of wrestlers were like, yeah, you know, I met Scott backstage indie 10 years ago, and I had I began, you know, a, a friendship with the guy. You know, he randomly texting me after a match, like, hey, you should do this. Like, hey, great job. Like, you know what I mean? And it really goes to show, you know, the the kind of mind that he had. You know, especially in this day and age where, you know, we, and rightfully so, don't get me wrong, we, uh, we dismiss some people for the actions in their life. But, you know, he tried. He, I think he made somewhat of an effort. I think, you know, he, he recognized his, his, his demons, his flaws. And, you know, I think he, if I'm not going to get a final run, in wrestling, I'm going to give back as much as I can. And certainly the last 48 hours or so, the, the many uh, stories that you've heard, the, uh, the tributes, the everything, it, this really goes to the testament of, of the guy we lost. We owe Scott a lot. We really do. Just for, you know, whether or not you saw him or not, his, his resonance is going to live on within wrestling for for decades he will never he will like you know they say you die twice when you pass away and the second time they don't speak your name anymore that's not going to happen with scott and you know i think a big testament to that is like uh, somebody like bret hart like they didn't get along no for a really long time uh Hall called Bret Hart selfish in 93. They started shit talking one another. Uh, it wasn't all love. 
there are a lot of people that just did not like him. And like he said, like for good reason, like it's not because for all the love, it shouldn't be diminished that he's a giant piece of shit all throughout the nineties. He was just like this fucking, cause that's, that's what I mean when I say like, I don't want to paint it as like, Oh, he was this like universally beloved selfless guy in the locker room. He wasn't not at that stage of his career when he was most successful, he was mean spirited. He was a disaster at times. He was, was, was cold and that's ignoring any, any damage done to his family. But like Ryan said, the reason that I want to try to show that he is a beacon for what could be more is because like as a social worker, as somebody that works with substance abusers, with people with mental health issues, people with like severe traumas in their life, I deal with people with a similar background and I deal with people who have done similarly, you know, terrible or selfish things. And I am a true firm believer, you know, my, my personal like professional and personal motto is like, you always have the chance to do a little bit better than you were, you know, you always have a chance to be a little bit better than you were the day before. And while there are limits to that tolerance, of course, I truly believe that no, very few people, if anybody, are uh, incapable of change or undeserving of sympathy or empathy and a chance to turn things around. And from what we can tell, at least from you know what's made public and what we can reasonably assume to be true, seems like following 2010, following, you know, his heart issues and and his 12th stint to rehab is when Scott finally started making amends the way that he wanted to and should have. And the Scott Hall that we lost two days ago is a very different person than the Scott Hall we grew up loving. And there's a certain beauty in that, I think. I think so, too. And if we had this podcast back in 2011 and Scott passed away, like, yeah, we'd be like, yeah, Scott was cool. But, you know, kind of really went out on a sour note. I don't think we would. Shit sucks. That's I think we would have had the. uh, Yeah, I think we We would have had the reaction. Scott, like, you know, has the demons. Probably, you know, we would have been like, you know, like, eh. He kind of NWO really is great, and you know it's it's a tragedy, but also, uh, what are you gonna do? But hey, listen, that's man. not the circumstance now. If you got to make amends, at least try. And even when Scott was taken off of life support, um, still took a long time for that man to be pinned. So he went. Yeah. Out, he went out a fighter. So DDP know. put it as uh, you know. Scott was going to be damned if he put death over clean. Uh, nice move. I'm going to kick out of it. Yeah. yeah. What's your finishing move? Can't wait to kick out of it. Um, and so like, you know, at the end of the day, there's not much more to be said about Scott Hall other than we lost a paragon of, um, wrestling you know from a character work standpoint we lost uh 
a monumental figure in wrestling history. And above all, we lost a man that despite the odds was able to turn himself around and be somebody that people were proud to know. And, you know, Kevin Nash's Instagram post was like one of the most heartbreaking things that I had ever read. Um, but if you need further proof that he obviously became a different person, look at what people like Waltman and Kevin Nash and DDP had to say about him and look at the legacy he left behind and, you know, the people that remember him and grieve him. Um, we lose a lot of legends in this industry far before their time, whether it's due to, uh, you know, complications from injuries or drugs or alcohol or PEDs or, you know, CTE. We, we lose a lot of titans of this industry. And as we continue to get older and we get further and further away from the Attitude Era and the Monday Night Wars, we're going to see more and more of that unfortunately and we already have to this point but scott hall should serve as not just a warning to people but also a story of redemption i think for the fact that it's like ryan said it's never too late to turn back it's never too late to make amends it's never too late to change who you are and who you're seen as and become something better and to rise above all of that and be remembered for what you did and not who you hurt. And I think that's the legacy Scott leaves behind. Can't finish it better myself. So, uh, ready to talk about how WWE sucks. <laughs> Let's do it. Okay. I think Scott would be the first person to talk about how much it sucks. So Absolutely. No, before we talk about WWE, though, uh, we're, you know, a couple weeks past this, um, but we're not, I don't want to do like a full review on Revolution, but no, simply full, put. Full match by match. We're going to talk full about. Match by <laughs> match. We're match. going to talk about the legendary Hook versus uh, QT Marshall match. Outstanding. Some of the best wrestling ever put uh to tape uh no revolution was uh a top to bottom just absolutely phenomenal show full of high marks and some low marks too but uh i think the best thing i could say about revolution 2022 is that i i don't think AEW has had a single mediocre pay-per-view they haven't even really even had a pay-per-view that I would only describe as like good or fine or like they really knock these things out of the park, don't they? Yeah, I it, it, their motto is great. Not every month. Let things simmer. Make your show like, you know, make every other month like the the second Wednesday in, make it a big uh dynamite to get people on it. So the formula that they have is great. I, I really hope they don't strive from it. I I think instead of like going, you know, bit by bit, why don't you give me the the three the top three highlights 
for you. So that could be um, a match. It could be a specific performance. It could be a result. What were the top three things that you enjoyed about this pay-per-view the most? And what are the top three things that you could nitpick about it? Performance, Eddie Kingston. He delivered... Our boy delivered 100%, man. I said that, I said that, I, you know, I'm almost sorry I doubted him to a degree, but he fucking earned that shit 100%. Uh, You know, even Jericho did a great job of putting him over. And his little fucking jig going up to Jericho at the end to put out his hand. Just, man, you want to talk about fucking coolness in wrestling? It's, it's Eddie Kingston right now. And, uh, that was that was awesome. Obviously, the dog collar match delivered 110%. I felt like I was watching a match from, you know, uh, Mid-South Wrestling in the 80s. Uh, just absolutely gritty, absolutely gory, man. Uh, a little uneasy to watch it sometimes. <laughs> CM Punk For can sure. fucking bleed, dude. <laughs> it's. It, I feel like it's like uh, between... Him and like Adam Page for like who are you most uncomfortable watching bleed right now? Yeah, the Moxley match against Danielson, you could have just stopped the pay per view right there and it would have been an uh, amazing show. So good. Wardlow getting his shining moment in the sun, getting the rare double shining moment in the sun, helping out CM Punk. Like, that's hard to do. That's really fucking hard to do. And I think we had the conversation couple months ago how like how are they gonna like you know Wardlow's turn is coming but like how are they gonna do it and I'll be a son of a bitch they may they managed to do it within three weeks to get this guy back up and that pop was absolutely worth it and and the boy can speak the boy is good on the mic so they fucking hit a goddamn home run with this it was beautiful to watch because there were definitely points throughout this where I was like I mean how much longer are we going to drag this out? What is the right time? How should he do it? And of course, conventional wrestling wisdom will tell you that the way he turns is somebody beats somebody up. And honestly, that's what made it so fucking brilliant. That man got perhaps the loudest pop of the night by just remembering that he had a ring in his pocket and putting it in front of somebody and walking away and the place erupted wardlow is everything that frankly wardlow is everything wwe would be looking for in a wrestler uh wardlow is the type of guy that i think any promotion would be lucky to have and would be successful anywhere but uh, again, you got to give props to AEW. Uh, the long story, the long term storytelling, it plays off with their crowd and it creates these moments that really are memorable. You mentioned Eddie Kingston, right? Well, that was Jericho's whole lead up is, you know, you can't win the big one. You can't win the big one. You can't win when it matters. Uh, you know, Mox said the same thing to him during their feud, you know, like you're not you're not ready for this level. And so for Eddie Kingston to come out there and uh, look, I talk my shit about Jericho because, you know, I don't really need Jericho on my on my screen. It's a bad person. But uh, if I have to look at Chris Jericho and I have to, like, have him in AEW, this is the level of performance that justifies him continuously being there, because 
it, you're going to be hard pressed. It, it would be hard to convince me that like his work following his initial title reign is particularly memorable. But uh, not only did he slim down and looks the best yeah, that he has since to, he left WWE, he he looks this is the best he's looked since since he left WWE. And frankly, he might even look a little bit better for no other reason than like when he first left WWE and like had the Alpha versus Omega match. He was still wearing his tights. And like this is not body shaming by any means. He was like not fat. And I am no one to talk about body shapes, but his his tights didn't fit. And it was like a weird look. And then by the time he switched to the long pant, he, you know, he started developing that kind of like alcoholic bloat. <laughs> this is like the most imposing he's looked. You know, the long hair, the the leather pants, the, you know, he's cut again. And he's quick. Beyond all things, that's what stood out to me is he was quick. His suplexes were were crisp and they snapped. Uh but anyway, this was like as traditional a King's Road match as you'll see in any promotion. And the long-term storytelling plays off with somebody like Eddie Kingston getting the win and it mattering so much with somebody like Wardlow turning like that and it mattering so much. Uh, it just all worked. Uh, yeah. What were the things you nitpick, though? One thing I wanted to mention, too, like we, we're going to get saddled with another Jericho faction. I kind of wish he would just go on a singles run, man. You know, like, fuck it. Like, ha- like we're not going to, like, I understand this is a way to preserve his time in AEW, but I don't know. I kind of, I kind of wanted, I kind of wanted that, that singles run, but yeah. So in terms of nitpicking, but also I just want to give one major shout out. And that was the second to last match of the night because I was just like, oh my God, uh. it's fucking almost midnight. Like, what the fuck? Uh. I get this multi tag team match that I've seen on Dynamite a hundred times. Eat my goddamn words. Sting stole the goddamn night. What are we? What world do we exist in where 62 year old Sting is jumping off of balconies onto tables? And my God. And like, not, not, you- a get, not. Like, there was no crash pad at the end of that fucking floor, dude. No, man. Like, look, it's well established that, like, going through a table, it's not like it hurts more. And, like, it was stacked that way for a reason. But what I'm saying is Sammy Guevara did a Spanish fly off of, like, I don't know, the Titan Toronto, whatever the fuck it was, uh, through tables. And that was not as impressive as 62-year-old Sting jumping off the balcony. You and you want to talk about like testaments to longevity. Sting is able to do that because Sting, I don't, starting to wonder if Sting is like the best conditioned wrestler of all time. Like, yeah, the no, only that's... person I can think of anywhere near his age that th- like is like Billy Gunn. Like Billy Gunn looks fucking incredible yeah, right for now. his age, but but like. Terry Funk, honestly, I'm I'm kind of thinking of Terry that Funk is, is the f- only other person that the generation, the kids right now are witnessing Terry Funk like we did when we were kids, man. And Absolutely. This is this is us watching Terry Funk put on death matches in his like 50s. This is like like without trying to be too hyperbolic, like a match like this and what Sting is doing is like Terry Funk versus Cebu. In the fucking barbed wire met like like just like 
how old is this dude? Yeah. How why is he doing this? How is he doing this? Sting uh, got ten years back on his career, man. I I don't like. I don't want him to separate from Darby. Keep that train fucking going, man. I'm I'm in a weird spot because I'm like I don't think I need to watch a 62 year old man put his body through this, but at the same time I'm a little bit like. Let's keep doing it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel I feel like I'm stuck between like please preserve his life and like Jesus Christ, give me what six year old me wants. Like yeah. it just it's and it's incredible that you can put this in a similar category to his TNA run, to his, you know, brief WWE run to his WCW. Like like Sting is relevant everywhere he goes, and he somehow always manages to to be interesting. It's just so fucking remarkable, and it's it's beautiful to see. So I I agree, uh, but we're still not nitpicking. Yeah, nitpicks. I have a few. I have a few. Uh, the women's match was an absolute dud. Um, should have been better. Wrong result. I don't better. care. I don't care about fucking hater and rebel. Like again, it's dynamite antics. Like. It's too much. It's, it, it's 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 an embarrassing amount of interference. It's like Bullet Club level amounts. And like if she, it, they're Dick Togo. It's Dick Togo one, Dick Togo two. And Literally, it's it's House of Torture, but in AEW. And like you know, if she wins tonight, it's awesome. But the the air is gone for me. I don't know. I think they had a they didn't have to hit a home run with that match, but they they only get so many opportunities, not to their own fault, Tony. But you know, I, I think they needed to if they, they need this match didn't need to be on the card. Like they could have just uh, easily absolutely. just waited until tonight. But absolutely. Either that or you have her win there and you let this be her coronation. It was not necessary to give her the hometown pop that she would have gotten anyway if she showed up as champion. Also, like, I, it's a it's a misstep. They're kind of doing the like, you know, the downtrodden face with with thunder rosa i think she earned a little more than that so far um so like yeah i don't know i hopefully she wins tonight and we could just forget about it um only other nitpick i really had it was a pre-show match so it doesn't really count but look you know why are you gonna bring pentascuro here if he's just gonna like be kind of goofy and not do anything i don't know you know what? No, that's a that's a great point because for those unfamiliar, Penta Escaro or Penta Dark is Pentagon's dark alter ego that was revealed in uh Lucha Underground. And if you're somebody, you know, if you're somebody if you're somebody frankly like me who like your exposure to Pentagon is through AEW or like through All In, then you know him as like a pretty legendary luchador, but you know he's Mister Cerro Miedo, and he's he's charismatic, and you know he's not like goofy, but he's not hyper serious. You know he's just he's he's you wouldn't describe him as being there for a good time, but he's the lesser of the lucha bros when he's kind of in that mode. Like Phoenix is by far the guy, and Pent is like really good, but just you know he's he's missed he just gimmick he taunt spams over and over penta dark in lucha underground was a fucking violent cult leader that broke people's arms and like 
was all about stiffness and just like destruction. And I do agree that like regard like it, it doesn't really matter to me whether you have like House of Black win or not win, but Penta Skiro does not feel different than Pentagon, you know, than Penta El Seattle Miedo. And that is weird. It it's definitely weird. And I'm willing to see where it goes if for no other reason than AW has typically given me reason to, you know. I will see how things play out. And also, I feel like Penta doesn't bring out this gimmick for no reason if it like does nothing. So I am willing to see what happens. But I, I agree. It's it's weird right now. Cool to see Rowan, though. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And like it wasn't a this isn't a uh, it was a good match. But no, it's a fair nitpick. It's 100 percent a fair nitpick. That's fine. And the only thing else I really have to say is great match. Don't get me wrong. You got to have the championship a little earlier than that. I mean, like the the main the main nitpick of it is that we had a twelve match, four hour long pay per view. Trim it down a little bit. It's much. It's much for a Sunday that starts at eight. It's it doesn't if that, work. If that me. started at six, would have been perfect. But that's it. Yep. Honestly, other than that, amazing pay per view. Revolution agreed. Whether they do it or not, Revolution has always been solid amongst their arsenal of pay-per-views. Whereas it's probably the least looked upon next to Full Gear. Full Gear is probably the most least looked upon because it's kind of like an un- it's not uninspired, but it's like it's like the after it's the pay-per-view after their their summer event, and not really a whole lot's going on. But Revolution always slaps. But it's and it feels like maybe that'll be different because you you know Hangman, his coronation happens at full gear. But yeah, yeah, Revolution almost feels like if I'm gonna do weird like categorization of the pay per views, Revolution almost feels like the work rate pay per view because mm-hmm. that's where you also had uh, the Bucks versus Kenny and Hangman. Uh, that's where you had Cody versus Jericho. It 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 is a little bit the work rate pay per view right now, but. Yeah, I don't have a ton of nitpicks either, really, and and I'm like not trying to be an AEW homer, but I, I don't know. It worked. It, it overall worked, and uh, you know, the ladder match was a lot of fun. Great to see Keith Lee doing his thing. Uh, Orange Cassidy skinning the cat on the ladder was like maybe the scariest use of core strength I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. That was like very terrifying how easy it was for him. Yeah. And we see what happens and dynamite's airing right now. But of course, like the other big thing uh, in AEW is that uh, Jeff Hardy finally showed up and the Hardy boys are back. What was crazy is that they got the Hardy boys theme. I, that was that was yeah. that was cool as shit. I was like, what? But it makes uh, sense. My friend explained it to me that, you know, it's uh, just a common it's a common licensed song. So I think Jeff's band. Yeah, it's it's literally like a song that like, I don't know sports center would use like you know what yeah I mean? it was i think it was literally written for a sports program under like a, a common creative license and was just like the, it was just out there and so wwe took it and it just it, it's an unmemorable song that fit the hardys perfectly and then they made famous jeff, and that's why it's so fucking cool to hear it and i think jeff's band uh re-recorded it too so there you go oh is that right yeah a little trade secret for you is that not the like OG OG recording? I, that's I like- think that's what my friend explained it to me. Uh, but yeah, I think that's what the case is. That's how they 
kind of got around. Who's your friend, it. Ryan? Who's the source? Max. Max? Dr. Max. Maxwell? Ma- Maxwell Jacob Friedman? Is that your source? <laughs> no, Professor Dr. Max. Oh, very good. The history Professor book Doctor. for the ages. Uh, so yeah, anyway, um, AW Revolution. Very cool. Oh, I'm not going to talk about it for that long. Proceeds to talk about it for 25 mm-hmm. minutes. Can't fucking help myself, can I? Um. Oh, and, and of course, like it, we didn't say it on here, but Regal, William Regal showing up to manage Moxley and Danielson. Uh, absolutely beautiful. Just 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 fucking love me some Regal. Regal is, you know what, a little bit on topic because very similar to Scott Hall, a real, real struggle with substances throughout his career yeah. and a career in a lot of ways that mirrors Scott's in that like as much as they accomplished, you feel like they should have accomplished more. But Regal, like Scott, was able to turn himself around and be different and become this beloved figure. And so, like, very happy to see him. And Swerve Strickland uh, officially being signed, which is a massive pickup for them. That's going to be good. Let it just let's let's have a slow burn with with uh, with Strickland. Yeah. Interesting to see what they do with Swerve. But, uh, you know, they're continuing to hit. Uh, And also not for nothing. Hangman Adam Cole. Great match. Uh, Hangman has probably had the best matches of any of the champions so oh, far, yeah. and you people need to stop sleeping on him. I the I'm having a fucking Enough. blast with him as champion. Enough. Enough. Uh, so it's a it's a smidge early to do a proper like mania rundown. That's probably what we'll end up doing uh next episode because that will be. Will that be Mania Weekend or will yep, that be, be the week? But that'll be the, Mania Weekend. So okay, so that's we'll do like a proper Mania rundown. But uh, what's the big news here, Ryan? What's what's the big what's going to happen that everyone's so curious about? Revolution in my soul. Cody Rhodes made me watch this fucking three-hour show. That's it's, right. It's happening. It is Cody Rhodes officially. Maybe, definitely not for sure, probably showing up in maybe WrestleMania or the Raw afterwards, depending on some things. Uh, The telltale sign of it all wasn't Corey saying this must be a nightmare. It was the crowd chanting Cody and on the replay on YouTube, WWE does not put the fake crowd noise in so take that take that as you may and what ryan is referring to is that uh and it's funny because this is not the big news but it is uh (laughs) the funny news uh it, it is that on raw this past week kermit the frog predicted that uh, Cody Rhodes was going to show up. That's right. And by that I mean Mets some... fan, aka Falcon Arrow, comes back as his new gimmick as Kermit the Frog. Uh, hey, listen, if that's a guerrilla tactic by WWE just to get them like, hey, listen, we know Raw sucks, but just watch the next couple Talk weeks. Talk about it. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 some it's some dude on Reddit that was like, this is going to maybe happen or not. Yeah, it didn't. But uh. It was to see who goes to Mania, Kevin Owens versus Seth Rollins, and Seth Rollins lost, and they 
use terms like nightmare and smoke and mirrors and all that stuff to describe it. And the current prediction is that Cody will show up to face Seth Rollins at Mania, uh, which will, if that does come to pass, A, thank God Seth Rollins is at WrestleMania because how fucking dare you? How dare you leave that man off? That man should be walking into Mania champion, you absolute garbage company. But if he at least gets to job out to Cody, then that will be a good consolation I mean, it's prize. Be a match. It's not going to be. A, it's not going to be a squash. It'll, it'll be if as long as it's not a squash, it will be a terrific match. And I and think like he's going to make Cody work for it too. He's oh, not gonna... and I mean, look, this is not like this isn't dashing Cody Rhodes. This is like that. This is the American nightmare. It is a very different Cody, and this is a little bit of a dream match for a lot of people. So if that does happen, cool. But no. The big, big news on this, the day of Austin 316, is that will Steve Austin, has he officially announced his return to the ring? WWE has been very tight-lipped about this. Uh, They've been very clear, and there's been a lot of rumblings from JR and other folk that that we don't know if this is a match, and it might just be Austin coming on the KO show, but... Austin cutting his first direct wrestling promo. Of course, Austin has shown up in WWE since retiring 19 years ago at WrestleMania 20, right? It was 20 against The Rock. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Since retiring 19 years ago, you know, he's shown up in a ring before, but, you know, he he does a little what? Little Stone Cold, give me a hillion, and he stuns somebody. But uh, Kevin Owens has been calling him out by um let me just let me just check my notes here for what kevin owens was doing to build this up oh that's right he was making fun of texas that's that's how that's 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 how we have been uh building up to stone cold returning in the ring is is we we said some mean things about texas it's literally WWE plagiarizing the SpongeBob episode where they make fun of Sandy for being from Texas. That is what this feud is. But Stone Cold cutting the first promo, proper promo on somebody in 19 years and being very clear multiple times. 19 years I've stayed away from the ring. 19 years I ended my career. And 19 years later, one more time, we're lacing up the boots. So It depends on how much stock you put into JR, who is a very good friend of Stone Cold and doesn't seem sure that Stone Cold's going to come back. And how much stock you put into Dave Meltzer, who seems similar, who seems to feel similarly, um, is a lot up in the air. But we know that Stone Cold will be at Mania, and there's no way he cuts a promo like that without at least doing more than just a stunner, right? Unless... They try to do the whole like 19 years since I was in mania, but I don't know if that's true that he hasn't been in a mania since. Uh, we should probably pump the brakes a little bit. We are not getting a full match. Probably. No, no, no. We, and no matter what we get, it's, you're not going to get like some 20 minute match between him and Kevin Owens, but I mean, will, what will you get is, is a different matter. Dude, if they go five minutes, that's going to feel like a lifetime in a good way too. Um, if Stone Cold comes out with like the knee pads, 
I I'll, like I'll lose my goddamn shit. I'll I'll and maybe I, forgive WWE for every I, bad I, thing they've done. I think that's gonna happen. The dude's in good shape. He probably will come out in a t-shirt. I don't think we're gonna get full vest, uh, Stone Cold. But if but he, imagine if he does that. Yeah, then then it's fucking on. Throw a goddamn beer through the TV is what I'll do. Uh, you know, Kevin Owens has been working up to this moment his entire career. He is going to carry that match hundred percent. Um. Austin's working on his cardio, I think. So we'll see what happens. So the reports go. Owens, no matter what happens, Owens is taking a stunner and he's going to sell that stunner like his fucking life depended on it. But imagine uh, if we get like a cannonball into <laughs> the turnbuckle, dude. <laughs> we don't know what to expect, which is. Hey, which listen, is, there you go. That's what WWE no, but, just needs to do. Is Is that not what we talk about and bitch about constantly like just just make it interesting just like make it so that i don't know what to expect that's all i really ever want from wwe like i don't like the presentation i don't like the stylistic choices and that's whatever but when it comes to like the product to the to the wrestling to the story just give me something that i can't predict <laughs> It, or like uh, I don't know. Uh, it's just mad funny how it's just like please, 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 do the bare please, minimum. Daddy Vince, <laughs> please, please do the bare minimum. Like that's the, all we want. I, the bar is on the floor. Can you please just step over it for the love of God? Like, please don't make Austin show up and literally like just be in the ring and do like one stunner and then beer. Please, just, just I and don't, no, I don't need, I don't care if no. he takes a bump. Absolutely no, JBL. I do not want any. Oh, I don't want, I don't want Texas God. Legends coming out. No <laughs> JBL. No JBL. Uh, no JBL. No. I, I don't know if Jake the Snake is. Like, he's not from Texas, but I'll take Jake. But he's in AEW now, so I think he, whatever. He, no Lance Archer. No Jake the Snake <laughs> and Lance Archer. No. No JBL. No fucking Booker T can come out. Yeah, sure. I'll be fine. Whatever. Booker, but listen, Booker. we're not getting like Kevin Owens show like Austin goes for a stunner and leaves. We're, we're going to get something. Just be happy with it. You know, just yeah, whatever. I, I, and I want to. I, I'm, I promise every single one of you listening, I, I really, really want to walk away from Mania enjoying it. I am. I am. I am promising you on these airwaves for all the shit I talk. I really really want to come away from mania and do an episode and be like you know what i'm really happy with what wwe did and this was worth my time that's all i want so like just make it a smith so 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 you know what does cody show up does cody not show up does austin wrestle does austin not wrestle whatever at least i got some fucking intrigue where i we for have, once don't know what's happening we have some nuggets folks we have some nuggets for for damien to to tune <sighs> oh, in to both nights not just oh, one god but two oh my fucking god so whatever we'll we'll, we'll do a proper lead up yeah next episode my favorite yeah, my favorite yeah, time love, of the year uh, yeah, i love the the long road to wrestlemania um for those of you interested in the pyro side the new japan cup uh is in full swing now i am a little bit behind uh but i believe we are up to the round of eight 
if I am correct. Yes, we are up to the round of eight. So, right? Eight, one, two, three. Yes, the round of eight. Or more, maybe it's still 16. I don't know. It's hard to tell what's happening here. Um, All right, so let's... uh... From what I can see, let's do what a, I can. Let's do a. Uh, well, the first. Well, okay, so there was. Oh, we're 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 close to the we're close to the round of eight. the The left half of the of the bracket is set. We are awaiting the second quarterfinals to be set. Was there a so match? Right, was there an event this morning? Uh, was today the sixteenth? There was an event yesterday, I believe, the fifteenth. Okay. Yes. It so was... right now, right now on the left side of the bracket, you've got reigning IWGP World Heavyweight Champion Kazuchika Okada, and they will be taking on Shima. Uh, interesting, actually, that they're having Shima go this far. It makes you wonder what they're going to do with him. Uh, Shima, of course, Strong Hearts member, and then Tetsuya Naito versus Jeff Cobb, um, which their match a couple months ago was fantastic. So looking forward to that. Then on the right side of the back of the bracket, you've got the Great Okan and Taiji Ishimori. You've got Zack Sabre Jr. and Sonata, Will Ospreay and uh, El Fantasmo, uh, Shingo Takage and Chase Owens, and Evil and Hiromu Takahashi. So what I can tell you here is that from what I have been able to see so far, the Kazuchika Okada El Desperado match, which was the uh, main event of the first night, was so fucking good. Just so goddamn good. And I would recommend anybody watch it. Um, Naito is going, is setting this after facing off against Tanahashi which is always a really fun match. Uh, Jeff Cobb was able to beat Yoshihashi, which is sad, but um, with, you know, it's, I'm not, I'm not going to try to sit here and tell you like on air and figure out like, Oh, what, what should we, what should I recommend? All I'm going to tell you is like everything I've seen from the new Japan cup so far has been a lot of fun. We're starting to see a little bit more from other people. Uh, The probably one of the biggest things that happened was evil beating Tamatanga, after Tama Tonga was kicked out of Bullet Club by Jay White at a sacrifice, I think that happened at. So the Gorillas of Destiny, along with Jado being kicked out of Bullet Club, uh, Gato turning on his 30 plus year long partner. Uh, and every single member of Bullet Club turned on Tama. So they were like teasing a little bit of dissension in the ranks between House of Torture and Bullet Club. But uh, everybody followed Jay's lead and just kicked the ever-loving shit out of G.O.D. and Jado. And now they are officially out of Bullet Club. So that was like the big, big thing that happened there. Um, And what it's really good. Oh, also, if you have a chance to see Ishii versus Takage, uh, that was just fucking absolutely spectacular. So, by the time that we meet again, I believe the New Japan Cup will be, it'll be finished. It'll be finished. The last night is set to be March 27th. So, 
I'm not going to get like give you a prediction or whatever, but it's happening. It's on New Japan World. Um, right now, we're looking like we're probably going to get Okada versus Naito in the semifinals, which will be a rematch of their absolutely excellent match from a couple of months ago for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. Uh, the right side of the bracket, a lot more open, but smart money would be on somebody like Will Ospreay. Uh, ZSJ or Shingo going to the finals against what will probably be Okada. So I imagine whoever wins the New Japan Cup will end up beating Okada in the finals, and then that will be, you know, the match they take on. But we'll we'll see what happens. We'll talk about it later. Uh, I know that last time I promised I would have you caught up on Noah, but I I did not have time to do that right now i can't help you i'm sorry this guy i i really am i'm sorry uh i wish i could give you another 45 minutes on noah and impact but i i just i just don't fucking have it right now ryan i just don't have it look folks like this guy doesn't take the time out of the week to watch fucking noah come on Come on! I know. I, I, what's wrong with me? I'm not. I'm not taking the time out of my day between work and school and having a wife and trying to have a social life to watch thirty hours of wrestling. Fuck me. <laughs> so, whatever. Uh, but we are leading up to the more interesting part of new japan's schedule because once the cup finishes up we will start trying to figure out when they're going to start running the g1 i imagine that will probably be announced relatively soon if they run it in the spring as has been tradition don't expect to see a lot of surprises if they run it in the fall as they have throughout the pandemic we very well might be able to see quite a few more gaijin show up as uh, Japan has opened up its borders to people with visas who are triple vaxxed. We all know that Danielson is absolutely chomping at the bit to get into the G1. I'm sure Moxley would like to get back there, let alone getting Jay back involved and uh, just, you know, a bunch of other people that I'm sure would love to get involved. And we'll also see if they're going to split the best of super juniors and world tag league again. Hopefully we get the G1 that we've been fucking begging for for the last two years. That is, do we not deserve the G1 that we have been looking for? Do we not deserve it, Ryan? Yeah, and I think you'll also see, like, the beginnings of what the Forbidden Door can bring us. Yes, absolutely. And, uh... Does WWE send somebody out of spite to Daniel Bryan? (laughs) That would truly be the funniest fucking thing in the world if they sent like Baron Corbin to do the G1. (laughs) I would kind of love it. I would kind of love it. Have a match against Bryan Danielson. Uh, As we begin to wrap up, I wonder if if we want to talk. I thought this was King of the Ring. Like R Truth comes, <laughs> <laughs> he brings out a ladder again and like goes for the the belts like he did in the Rumble. Uh, I wonder if we want to talk about the hot upstart promotion that everybody's really looking oh forward to. Oh my god! <laughs> uh. Yes, that's right, folks. Uh, MPW, My Pillow Wrestling, is coming soon. Ryan, I want to ask you something. Oh Over the last two years, 
Uh, we've talked about a lot of things. We, we, and we give our opinions and we, we state our facts, but I wonder, have we been controlling our narrative? The story is about you, Damien. No, 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 no. The story is about you. Have we truly been controlling our narrative? Uh... I don't know that we have been, Ryan. Um, Just the worst, control your the, narrative the worst minds is, in wrestling coming together. Control Your Narrative is a new promotion started up by EC3 and has people like uh, Eric Redbeard and Braun Strowman and Austin Aries. And uh, I, I don't know who else really. And uh, EC3 made some jokes about uh neo-nazis and um qwf qwf is coming folks qwf q q world federation wrestling uh i tell you what folks here is the promise that i will make to you because i love you and i hate ryan is that once control your narrative runs a proper show like they already ran a show and i'm not i don't care it's, it wasn't important enough when control your narrative runs something i will buy it and we will watch it and we will review it and i will tell you all the things to think about control your narrative give me a uh, uh, give me a price point on that first uh on that first pay-per-view we talking i we talking 3.99 are we talking 15.99 <laughs> I promise you that the first control your narrative uh, wrestling pay-per-view will be at least uh, $30. Oh my God, dude. The Awakening live (laughs) Dallas, Texas, March 31st, 2022. Hashtag control your narrative is a unique concept in wrestling content distribution through their free the narrative features and now awakening live cyn focuses on telling original and personal stories with not only professional wrestling's biggest names but also those unknown cyn is completely independent of any wrestling promotion set to an original score cyn blends professional wrestling uh cinema and harsh reality in what will become the true definition of creative freedom for an industry that desperately needs it and any performer that truly seeks it. To hashtag control your narrative is to tell your story. At an awakening, those stories are told. This is the type of wrestling promotion that John Dalmayan from System of a Down would love, I think. My big, uh, my big, beautiful wrestling federation. The best, the best wrestling, the the most creative wrestlers. Uh, also, I think this is Carrie. I think this is Killer Cross that's on this poster. So that makes sense. Also, oh no, 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 no uh, Damien, no, 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 no. He's not going there. Oh well, He's that's not right. Going there, Damien. He's going to New Japan. G1 winner. G1 winner, Killer Cross. Let's hope Minoru Suzuki fucking kills him. Let's just hope that's what happens. <laughs> just a start. squash. Uh, 
Do you want to put an over under on the likelihood that Drake Wirtz shows up as a referee? Uh-huh. He's gotta, right? He's gotta. He'll be the Drake fucking Wirtz, GM, it, dude. He's gonna be the Dra- GM. <laughs> Drake Wirtz is the NXT referee that uh hopped on the keyboard and left uh NXT after Triple H said, and I quote, NXT is open to all races. And Drake, Drake He's a said, pedophile. Triple H Drake is a pedophile. said, Drake said, not in my wrestling, not in my wrestling. Will I share a ring with minorities? And away he went. He started yelling at Florida school boards. He ran. He's now he's running for uh, Congress. Yo, did you see and Joey Janela Matt Riddle dress up and at Bobby one of the, Fish? Uh, school oh, I did. I did. He dressed up. As <laughs> and now Drake Wirtz is being supported by Matt Riddle and Bobby Fish. And Biff Busick, however, Biff Busick, the former Oni Larkin, was very quick to point out uh, that he does not support Q and that he um, was asked to lend some money to Drake, which is absolutely a violation of uh, campaign finance laws. But let's just put it this way. Everybody else that listed that Damien was listed, you got 72 hours. 72 hours on the FFC clock to make a similar statement or you're dead. Repent. You're dead to us. You got 72 hours. That's all I'm going to say. I promise you I will never root for Red Dragon as long as I live. God damn it. RK bro, dead. Red Dragon, dead. Uh Oni Larkin. Okay. Put him up. Put him up. (laughs) Put him up. Uh, yeah, I so that's my promise to you is if they put Awakening on pay per view at some point, I will buy it uh, and we will uh we will watch it and I will I will let you know how how to control your narrative. They have a podcast. Also. Oh Jesus, was it just fucking EC three and fucking uh, Adam Sure just like fucking talking about life? It is an intimate insight into the harsh reality of the narrative hosted by professional wrestler and fitness influencer EC3 and his creative partner, the narrator JC hashtag the CYN weekly focuses on filmmaking, music, health and fitness, and most importantly, the desolate wasteland that is the professional wrestling industry. <sighs> Hashtag the CYN Weekly gives an intimate perspective into the personalities who fight for purpose, control, and freedom in Hashtag Free the Narrative. Each episode will have a variety of guests, original promos, and exclusive glimpses into Hashtag the Narrative. Uh, also, they sell nutritional supplements. Oh, of course. Con- <laughs> of course they do. <laughs> in Control You Nutrition. Uh, <sighs> I wonder Gotta if anybody. I wonder if anybody else can think of uh, of another nutritional supplement sold by uh, less than desirable folk. Does that does it ring a bell to anybody? No. Yeah, it must be the globalists wiping my mind. I can't think of anything. Can you think of a certain media? Figure? No, 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 because. The only the only thing I can think of is a is a is a comedian who plays a character on TV and uh, rants about the Illuminati, but I don't think that's relevant to this conversation. Uh, just keep an eye out for when Alex Jones shows up. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> um, we got pedophiles in WWE right now. 
he'd be the perfect person for a spokesperson for this. At least I, I'm I, here I, to tell you about hashtag <laughs> control your narrative and the thing about the hashtag control your narrative is the globalists don't want you to know about your narrative. God damn it. <laughs> Folks, what uh, we got right here. I'm not, I, can't, I can't. I've done too much in the last fucking four years. <laughs> <laughs> so so folks here's here's what i no you know before that uh ryan do you have a legend killer that is just too sweet tonight take a look at the picture and tell me about it well that's arnold schwarzenegger in a sweater yes correct that is arnold schwarzenegger it is actually a little hard to see what this is it's uh it's a Man with a very square jaw in a sweater and fingers. I'm sure anybody else will get this in a second. Uh, like Anthony Capozzi, who just loves fucking going on the Instagram and be like, this is who it is. I watch wrestling. <laughs> you get one hint. Yeah, all right. He has him. He is known and always has had a mustache. Rick Rude. Nope. Kurt Hennig. Nope. Kurt Hennig. He had a mustache, right? This is a, a a brunette, brawnly man. Yeah, but like he could have dyed his hair. I guess, yeah. Known for a mustache? Known for a mustache, early 80s. One more. Ryan's out here like, Damien, you didn't watch 1982 <laughs> AWA? Why would you have a podcast? In the golden era of WWF. I tell you, all I'm coming up with is fucking Rick Boogs. Do you tap? I don't want to tap. It'd be fun if I didn't have to tap. Um, but I guess I have to tap. I tell you what, the Sheiky Baby says, "Fuck the Damien." No, that's Sheiky Baby. No, yep, certainly not. This is when Sheik uh, came over to America from Iran. When he was a uh, a bodyguard for the Shah, and this is what he looked like. Uh, oh my god! Before the, the the road was was very very painstaking on that man. Stupid fucky jabroni Mark Damian Ellinghouse, not understand Sheiky's beautiful face. Fuck boy forever. This beautiful Iranian man. Oh my god, he's gorgeous. <laughs> That's cheeky, baby. Really, really, he's really attractive. Young John Cena, young I young am, Iranian John Cena. I honestly, I don't even a little bit feel bad about this because I am. I promise, I've never seen Cheeky without a mustache. Not one time, not two times, yeah. no, no this, none, this is no a, time. This so. is a good one. I was going to be surprised if you got this one. This might as well have been Fred Durst. So I, <laughs> I got good. Fred Very Durst good. if he was in a uh, shoegaze band. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so in lieu of what we've been listening to instead, what I would like everybody to listen to today or tomorrow, or I don't know, whenever you listen to this podcast, don't let me dictate how you live your life. I would like for everybody to go out and listen to Razor Ramon's initial vignettes coming into WWF. I'd like you to listen to Scott Hall's initial uh, introduction to WCW. And I would like you to just pick an interview. 
in his later life and just listen to the man talk and maybe go check out his hall of fame uh speech where he gave words that i hope will come to define him forever but like only him because out of context it's it i don't think it's the type of thing you'd want anybody else to (laughs) appreciate which is of course that uh well ryan do you want to deliver it uh what was that would you like to deliver scott hall's lines at the end of the hall of fame speech bad times don't last but bad guys do yeah close enough there's four lines but uh i want to tell people to watch uh one of the og razor ramon vignettes uh the man looking like richard simmons and just has the absolute drip walk through opalaka which is a very very tough neighborhood in florida and he just did it on his own, no security whatsoever. And kids are flocking to him. And, you know, Scott Hall's like, fuck it. It's for the biz. Also, um, Jerry Springer had a segment on his show before it was wild and wacky. Uh, Jerry mm-hmm. Springer legitimately had um, a segment on his show with sick kids. Uh, one of them being one who had HIV. And uh, wrestlers turned down the opportunity to come on and share a moment with the kids who loved wrestling because they were they didn't want to deal with that. But Scott Hall said, yeah, absolutely. And he came out and took some time to talk to the kids. And he's a full blown heel at this point. He came out with the cigarette in the ear and the and the pick in the, and, uh, the uh, toothpick in the mouth and, uh, you know, gave some comfort to some kids who, who are having some some trying times. And, you know, that's just the kind of person Scott was, the, despite all his demons. And, uh, you know, one, one note I want to end on with the Scott Hall discussion is look at what that man, look at what, you know, other wrestlers had to go through. The absolute meat grinder of the industry at that time. We're lucky we still have... The, some of those guys today honestly through what and listen hey listen you know a lot of it was put on him by its, by themselves but i mean i can't think of many who went through that and came out the under end of it not a, a damaged individual jake the snake is probably the best example and he's another example of like yeah you got to just appreciate the legends while they're around the full quote that Ryan said earlier is hard work pays off dreams come true bad times don't last but bad guys do and with that my friends throw a toothpick at your screen and slick back your hair and go punch someone in the face that deserves it everybody go up to your boss tomorrow uh Take a toothpick and just toss it in their face. Picky, picky. Yeah, there you go. Just just right in the eye. So for Ryan and for myself, this has been the most electrifying, must-listen-to podcast in sports entertainment, Chico. This has been FFC. Boop. Bam, bam. Bam, bam. 
Better than that now.